Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome those who are watching from our regionals as well as our online audience. You know, the last time I was uh, scheduled to preach here at CSC, we had a baby. So I'm grateful that Pastor Warren stepped in to take my place. Just want to show a picture of our three boys, so if you can put up the picture out there. <laughs> I'm glad they love their little brother. You put the next one, please. So that's our baby. He's already three months. Well, we are truly grateful to God for his faithfulness in our life. Today, I'm starting a three-part mini-sermon series. I'm calling this series Mighty Savior. This comes from a strong conviction that the Lord has put in my heart to give us a reminder as a church that the Jesus that we serve is a mighty Savior. In life, we are often placed in a theological conundrum, where on the one hand, we have this mighty, all-powerful Savior, and on the other hand, we have life circumstances that are challenging, and they keep looming large. We watch the news, and we hear of yet another terrorist attack, and it doesn't shock us anymore as it used to, because it's an all-too-familiar story. But we do wonder, why is God so silent? With the recent political changes in our country, we are looking at policies that are contrary to our Christian convictions. We are asking, is God really in control over all these changes? Then we continue to face personal challenges in life, sometimes an ominous call from the doctor's office. There's problems in marriage, children walking away from the faith, job losses. We have a range of challenges. And during these testing circumstances, when our faith is being sifted, our confidence in God's ability to save is shaken. And that's why time and again we need to be reminded from the Bible these unchanging truths that no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That the Savior we serve has all authority given to him in heaven and on earth. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he holds our life in the palm of his hand. Now the evangelical church has made Jesus into a, a teacher par excellence. Who communicates profound truths. 
And his words are powerful. But as you read the four Gospels, we find not only are the words of Jesus powerful, but so are his works. Jesus is not just a great teacher, but he's the great Savior. What does the name Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves. Not he used to save or he once saved, but it's in the present tense. He saves today. He delivers today. He rescues today because he is alive today. Every time you say the word Jesus, you are affirming God's power to save in the present tense. And that will be the focus of this three-part series. And my prayer is that God will use these teachings to strengthen our faith and to renew our confidence in the power of Jesus to save today. We come to a critical juncture in Mark's gospel where there's confusion surrounding the identity of Jesus. There is amazement and awe as people witness the miracles of Jesus, and everyone is wondering, who is this person? And we find in Mark chapters 4 and 5, Mark uses four back-to-back stories to demonstrate one truth, that Jesus is the mighty Savior. Four back-to-back stories to remind us of his saving power. In the first story, Jesus calms the storm and proves he is sovereign over the forces of nature. In the second story, Jesus transforms the life of a man possessed by a legion of demons and establishes his authority over Satan and the forces of darkness. In the third story, Jesus heals a woman who suffered for 12 years with a bleeding disorder and demonstrates his power over sickness and disease. And in the fourth story, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead and shows he has conquered even death. Mark carefully arranges these four stories in succession to help us to understand Jesus' divine power. And in this first message of the series, we are going to focus on the mighty Savior's authority over Satan and the powers of darkness, for he is more powerful than demons. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Shall we pause and ask God to speak to us today? Father, we do stand amazed in your presence at the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that power is available for us even today. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be sensitive to your voice as you minister to us in the power of your Spirit. We pray that every one of us here will be open to you to receive what you have in mind for us. We pray that bondages will be broken today as you declare your victory over the powers and the forces of darkness. So we commit this time to the leading of your Spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis gives us a balanced understanding of spiritual warfare when he wrote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Growing up in India, even as a little boy, I regularly witnessed the effect of the demonic. Our neighbor's daughter and her husband were flourishing in their business until one of their competitors in business cast a witchcraft spell on them. The husband killed himself all of a sudden, and the wife became mentally unsound. When we as a family were going through a difficult time, I was still little, my parents decided to sell the home we lived out of fear that there were demonic forces at work in that home. At times, I used to go to Hindu temples, and I would see women who are small in frame, possessed with an enormous power, to the point even four people could not hold that person down. Our family would regularly consult an astrologer whose predictions were astonishingly true. And when I was eight years old, he told that one day I would enter into a spiritual vocation and bring enlightenment to many. If I ever get to meet that astrologer today, I'll say to him, let me bring you some enlightenment. Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life. But just in case you think demonic activities happen only in third world countries, 
I want you to know that the demonic is very much active in North America, like anywhere else in the world. Well-known author Mark Buchanan, in an article in Leadership Journal called Into the Whirlwind, describes his first major encounter in spiritual warfare in the early years of his ministry. He writes, The morning after I became senior pastor of my church, I received a phone call that shaped my entire ministry. The call was uh, from a man from his church. His neighbors, who were a young couple with their first child, had inquired if his priest performed exorcisms. They said an evil presence inhabited their home, striking terror and causing havoc. Mark, along with another man, visited this couple, and Mark Buchanan had no clue of the urgency of the situation and very little experience in spiritual warfare. They just wanted to read some passages from the Bible to comfort the family and hope that as they prayed, it will alleviate their fears. Mark Buchanan writes that house did have a visitor, some vile and malicious spirit. The whole thing was straight out of the Gospels or the book of Acts. After a time of prayer, the spirit seemed to have left and the young couple immediately embraced Jesus. That Sunday, the couple came to church, their first and last time. It appeared that the couple had a great time in church. They eagerly listened to the prayers, the scripture reading, and hung on to every word in the sermon. Then Mark had to leave for a four-day conference. And when he returned back, something terrible had happened. The phone rang again, and it was the same man calling. And this time, his voice was quivering. The young couple was dead. They had fled their home on Tuesday night, abandoned it like a house on fire, and drove 500 miles and booked into a CD hotel. They got up early the next morning and drove directly into a bridge piling. Forensic experts said that the car was traveling at 102 miles per hour. The husband and wife died instantly, and their little daughter died an hour later. Horrific tragedy, and clearly the demonic forces had a big role to play in it. Now, I'm saying all of this to emphasize when you read accounts in the Gospels about demon possession and references to Satan and the powers of darkness, don't write them off as primitive, ancient worldview. It is a living reality even today. When you read an account like Mark chapter 5 and conclude, well, this cannot happen today in a sophisticated society. We live in a scientific world where there are no room for superstitions. You are believing exactly what Satan wants you to believe. I want you to know this here. The biblical writers did not demonize everything. They did not attribute every sickness or all forms of mental illness to the devil. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. News about him, Jesus, spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. You can see in this verse that the Bible distinguishes demon possession and puts it in a separate category. The biblical writers understood demon possession was unique. 
They did not demonize everything. They did not reduce every unexplainable phenomenon to the devil. But where they did observe the influence of the demonic, they were not afraid to call it what it is. The New Testament highlights in no uncertain terms that there is a warfare that is happening in the spiritual realm. And as the kingdom of God advances and flourishes, there will also be resistance and oppositions from the kingdom of darkness. There is a real intense battle that is happening all around us in the unseen spiritual realm. And we see the effects of it on a regular basis in our visible physical realm. In the words of Eugene Peterson, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square foot of space is contested. Every square foot of space is contested. And that's what we see in the scripture passage we read in Mark 5. Towards the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples encountered a great storm while they were on their way to the region of the Gerasenes, entering into this Gentile territory. The enemy was clearly opposing Jesus to keep him from entering this region. And as soon as Jesus stepped into enemy lines, he was confronted by a man possessed with demons. This account in Mark is clearly one of the most detailed accounts of exorcisms in the whole Bible. I want us to look at uh, some of the characteristics that this man displayed. Let me read again verses 1 to 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and broke the irons on his feet, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man was living in the tombs in a cemetery, and he possessed great powers to the point no one could bind him, not even with chains. Can you picture that for a moment in your mind? Someone so strong enough to literally tear apart iron chains. What kind of brute strength is that? This man was not pumping iron or hitting hard at the gym every day. He did not have protein shake or meal supplements. He barely had anything to eat. But he was physically strong. And yet all of that strength in this man had no productive use. He demonstrated self-destructive tendencies. He was crying out night and day, cutting himself with stones. The greater power that enslaved this man obviously did not have his best intentions in mind. The demons were bent on destroying his identity, strip him of his dignity, and mar the very image of God in which he was created. And as soon as this man saw Jesus, he shouted in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? That's just another way of saying, You and I have nothing in common. We are poles apart. Stay away from me, Jesus. At this point, I want to tell you something significant. 
the chances of you and me running into someone in Calgary, living naked in the cemetery, breaking chains and cutting themselves with stones, or seeing a man or woman who displays such outward external signs of demon possession is rare. But if we think that demonic is expressed only through crazy men running around naked and living in tombs, we are mistaken. The most sophisticated people can become targets of the enemy. Because there are only two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And if you don't belong to the kingdom of God, by default, you belong to the kingdom of darkness. There is no middle ground in spiritual warfare. And I sincerely believe the demonic expresses itself very differently here in North America as opposed to the developing countries. While cases of demon possession are rare, we see the influence of the demonic in our systems and ideologies that blind people in North America. I want to show you right now the patterns that you see in this man who was possessed with a legion of demons are the same patterns that you can observe in our society today. First of all, this man had great powers. The reason he could break the iron chains was because he was enchained by a greater power. And we see evidence of such destructive power in certain humans. Pastor Tim Keller points out, it's impossible to account for all the evil we see in the world to human choices alone. How do you explain the existence of a Hitler or a Stalin or even a Jim Jones? How can one individual have the capacity to wreak so much havoc? It happens when the individual signs a pact with evil, gives himself to the demonic influence and powers. Then it is quite possible. The more I see ISIS at work, the more I look at their cruelty and debauchery and literal annihilation of Christians in Iraq and Syria and their attack against the Western world, I see the full force of the demonic in their ideology and enabling their people and giving them capacity to do such gross evil. And after all the efforts by our world powers to restrain ISIS, we still seem so helpless and unsuccessful. And that's because we are fighting the wrong battle. Secondly, I pointed to the destructive tendencies in this man. This man was living a miserable life and was cutting himself with stones. Because of his deep mental and physical anguish, he tried to take his life through self-inflicted torture. Jesus came for one reason, to offer life. And Satan and his demons do the exact opposite. They kill and destroy do you know today over 800,000 people die because of suicide every year across the globe? That's an astonishing number. There are indications that for each adult who died of suicide, there may have been more than 20 to 25 others attempting suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for Canadians between the age 10 to 24. 
And just today, just today, 11 Canadians would die because of suicide. Now I'm raising this question. What if, what if this high suicide rate is because of the influence of the demonic? The Bible clearly says the, that the devil loves to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at the demon-possessed man's attitude towards Jesus. He's so hostile. He shouts at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Every day as you walk around our city, as you watch television, or listen to a politician or a Hollywood celebrity, you can see the very same attitude. What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Stay away from me. It is possible for demonic forces to inhabit a system just as they can inhabit a person. The expression or, or influence of the demonic can be actively seen today in politics, business, family life, media, arts, and entertainment. And together, they have successfully created a world that is hostile to God. This is the subtlety of spiritual warfare. No, everyone can recognize the external traits of a demon-possessed individual, but it is not easy to recognize the subtle demonic effect in our culture. The demonic is not primarily about paranormal activities. It's not about that classic scene in horror movies where heads rotate 360 degrees. But the active influence of the demonic is seen in our day-to-day -day battle against greed, materialism, and lust, and a hateful attitude towards God. Lastly, this man was absolutely hopeless. No one could offer him any help. That, to me, describes our world today. Hopeless, helpless, and languishing in darkness. I painted a dismal picture of the power of evil and its influence in our world today, but I don't want to leave you there. It's now time to talk about the good news. The mighty Savior who is far more powerful than any of Satan's antics. This man had an army of demons inside him. That's what the word legion means. It could be a regiment of up to 6,000 people in the ancient Roman army. So there is a showdown between Jesus as he steps into the region of the Gerasenes and an army of demons that are ganging up against him. I want you to look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. That's all it took. One glance at Jesus and an entire army of demons just buckled down on their knees. They came in without a fight. It is an acknowledgement on the part of the demons that someone far greater was now standing in their presence. In ancient days, 
Exorcisms would involve all kinds of rituals and incantations and calling on a higher power in order to deal with the lesser powers. But what we see in this exorcism account is so significant. Jesus is not calling on a higher power to drive out these demons. He's not beseeching the Father to drive these demons away. In fact, you would see this throughout the Gospels. Every time Jesus had an encounter with the demonic, he will never ask the Father to do that work. It is always on the basis of his own authority. Jesus speaks a word, and the demons listen, and they obey, and they flee. You know, some modern-day teachings on spiritual warfare glorify Satan and the demons and attribute them so much power and make them, us feel that as though we are at their mercy. That is not scriptural. Jesus and the devil are not counterparts. The name of Jesus is the name above all names. And whenever we proclaim and exalt the name of Jesus, Satan and his forces have no choice but to retreat and run. I want you to look at verses 11 to 13. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. What we see here is a little stampede of pigs, 2,000 of them going down the mountain slope and drown in the lake. We know of a head smashed in buffalo jump. This is head smashed in piggy jump. <laughs> and that's exactly what the original Jewish readers would have done. They would have laughed when they heard this account. They would have cheered. 2,000 unclean animals have been annihilated. Hey, that's because they haven't seen the movie Babe. And, and neither were they acquainted with uh, Little Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. But if you love bacon for breakfast, you'll be cheering as well. But here's the problem. Our world that creates an uproar when Cecil the lion gets killed in Zimbabwe while turning a blind eye to the literal thousands of children that die in Africa because of starvation and preventable illness. This world with a warped value system looks at this incident and calls this animal abuse. The famous atheist Bertrand Russell stated this incident of pigs dying as one of the reasons why he's not a Christian. So we are faced with this question. Why did Jesus allow the spirits to go into the pigs and destroy them? Mind you, Jesus did not ask the spirits to go into the pigs. He merely gave them permission. And I believe... Jesus wanted this man to have a visual reminder of his salvation. For the years of mental anguish and physical torture was over and salvation had finally come. And this sight of pigs running down the slope and crashing into the lake would be forever etched in his mind as a symbol of his own deliverance. The demons that tormented him for years were gone and today he was a new creation in Christ. And here is yet another important truth. The people of the town 
were concerned about the monetary value of the 2,000 pigs. That's why they asked Jesus to leave the town. But Jesus was concerned about the value of one human soul. What you see here is the extent the Lord will go in order to reach out to one person. Jesus faced a fierce storm. He came into Gentile territory where pigs were being raised. No Jew would step into that region even if you were to give them a million bucks. Yet Jesus went there without any hesitation. And he took on an army of demons in order to reclaim this territory for God. And in the process, even if the economy of the town were to go down and the stock market crashed, it still did not matter. All of this to demonstrate the value of one human soul. Here comes the key verse in our passage. Look at verses 14 and 15. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Do you see the contrast here? This is one of the most hopeless cases, the last person in the town whom you would think would be open to the gospel. This man who once lived in the tombs, naked, in isolation, terrifying everyone who walked past him, who broke the chains off his feet as though they were straw. This man who cried day and night and cut himself with stones, came in contact with Christ's saving power. And do you see what happened there? He's now clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus in a posture of worship. Church, that's how mighty our Savior is. But this is the question for you and me. Do we truly believe that the person who is most resistant to the gospel can one day become a passionate worshiper and follower of Jesus Christ? If we don't believe that, and we have a very limited conception of Christ's power to save. Some of you, you have lost hope that your family will ever be saved. You have stopped praying because it feels like a waste of time. You've concluded in your heart, my children are lost, they are foregone, they have no hope. My husband or wife has no interest in the things of God, there is nothing that I can do. But I want to remind you today, there is not a single person in this world who is beyond God's redemptive power. The Savior who reached out to this man with a legion of demons who raised him out of the pit still is in the business of changing lives. So never, ever lose heart. I want you to listen to me now. Transformation and life change is possible only because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The words of New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, at the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end up naked, isolated, outside the town, among the tombs, 
shouting incomprehensible things as he's torn apart on the cross by the standard Roman torture, his flesh torn to ribbons by the small stones in the Roman lash. The cross of Christ is that pivotal point in history when Jesus not only paid for our sins by the shedding of his blood, but once and for all, he won a comprehensive victory over the forces of darkness. Jesus took the full brunt of evil on himself, and by his death and his resurrection, he establishes the glorious reign of God. See, prior to the cross, Satan had a foothold in people's lives to keep them in bondage and slavery. But the good news today is that has been reversed. Today, Jesus disarms the powers and he reclaims the territory that belongs to Satan for himself by redeeming people and brings them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah, what a great Savior. I want us to look at our passage. The townsfolk reject Jesus. They ask him to leave the town. You know, it is ironic, now that this man was in his right mind and wearing clothes and acting sane, the people were afraid of him. And they wanted nothing to do with the supernatural, life-changing power of God. But look at this man, verses 18 to 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This must be one of the most moving scenes in the New Testament, where you see this man with a heart filled with gratitude for all that Jesus had done for him, is now requesting, he's pleading and begging Jesus, Lord, let me follow you. I want to be with you. Jesus says, no, I have something else in mind for you. You know, almost every time Jesus did a miracle in a Jewish area, he told them to hush and not tell anyone about it. But in this Gentile territory, where there were no messianic expectations, Jesus had no such concerns. He releases this man to go into ministry. This man is personally commissioned by Jesus to be an evangelist to declare the good news. And he went back home. And he went to the Decapolis, which was a group of 10 cities with Greek influence. And he declared to the people, all that Jesus had done for him. Did you catch that? He was told, go and tell how much the Lord has done for you, and he began to tell how much Jesus had done for him. That's Mark's way of saying, Jesus is the Lord. And the people who heard his story, who heard his testimony, they were amazed. Two chapters later in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus returns back to the Decapolis, people gladly welcomed him. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal because of this one man's story. 
The one who was once inhabited by a multitude of demons was now leading multitudes of people to faith in Christ. You know, you can argue all day against the intellectual claims of the Christian faith, but you cannot argue against the life-changing power of the gospel. The clearest, unquestionable evidence of the truth and authenticity of the gospel is seen in Christ's ability to change lives, and He changes lives today. You cannot discredit that. The commission today has not changed. We have come to experience a mighty Savior. He has radically changed our lives. We can't keep Him to ourselves. We need to go and tell the great things Jesus has done for us. I want to close with this personal story. Many of you know that I came to faith in Jesus Christ from a Hindu family at age 17. And I'm the first in my entire family lineage to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We come from an honor-shame culture. And one of the worst things you can do is to bring dishonor to the family. Leaving your religion of birth and embracing another religion is unthinkable. So when I became a follower of Christ, I faced the anger of the entire family. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, every one of them will come to express their deep displeasure for what I have done was unacceptable. But I was in love with Jesus. And even as a new Christian, I felt a strong calling for ministry, a strong calling to preach His Word. And all I wanted to do was to serve Jesus. And I told the Lord, Lord, take me anywhere, anywhere you want me to go and I'll follow you. In many ways, I was like this demoniac. I was so grateful for all that Jesus has done for me that I was willing to do anything in return for Him. But Jesus did not ask me to go here or go there. He wanted to, me to first and foremost go back home, minister to my family, and tell them the great things He has done for me. Honestly, Jesus couldn't have asked of me a more difficult thing. I would have gladly followed him anywhere, to the remote parts of the world, but to go back to my own home where everyone thought I was a pariah, an outcast, someone who had rejected the faith, to go back into that painful circumstance was the most difficult thing to do. I said to Jesus, Jesus, take me anywhere but not my home. I'll go to any place in this world. But today as I look back, I'm so grateful that my initial years as a Christian were at home and not anywhere else because the Lord clearly knew what He was doing. Within a year I had become a Christian my sister noticed significant changes in me, and it convicted her heart. I never honestly thought anyone else in my family would come to faith. There was such resistance. But one day I saw a miracle unfold in front of my eyes as I was sharing the gospel with my sister. 
the Lord spoke to her heart. The Holy Spirit was at work opening her eyes. She saw the beauty of the gospel and she committed her life to Jesus Christ. And in my initial years as a Christian, I had several other opportunities to share with my parents, my family members, friends, the great things the Lord has done for me. It is easier to follow Jesus to some strange country, but it's difficult to go back home. But that's where it has to start. I want to ask you today, do people in your home and in your family know what Jesus has done for you? Go back home. Go back home and tell them the great things that Jesus has done and how he has had mercy on you. Church, I want to remind us in closing. Our Savior is mighty. He is stronger than Satan and the forces of darkness. He has comprehensively defeated them. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3 verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Who is this strong man here? It's a reference to Satan. Satan is the strong man. But church, that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to bind the strong man. And the good news is the strong man has been bound by our great Savior. And now is the time for us to reclaim all that belongs to Satan and bring them under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now is the time for the kingdom of God to advance and the powers of darkness to retreat. Now is the time to plunder Satan's kingdom and release people who are held in captivity and bondage into the life and the freedom that is in Christ. How is this done? Not by binding Satan, he's already been bound. We plunder Satan's kingdom today when we proclaim the good news, when we advance the kingdom of God through the message of salvation he has given to us. So that's what we are called to do, to enthusiastically declare this good news, to shout from the rooftops all that God has done for us, and God will use your story and my story to help many people come to the freedom that is in Christ. As we come to an end, I'm going to ask all of us to stand. This time I'll invite Jonathan, who was baptized, to come up here on stage as well. Believe the Lord has spoken to your heart today. I want you to maintain a moment of silence. And in the stillness of this moment, just reflect on what you've heard. Because the Lord wants to do a new work in some of you today. So I want you to be open to that. So just maintain a moment of silence. Just let's pray and be sensitive to what God wants to do right now.
believe there's still something that's left to be done in our service today. For as I was asking the Lord how to close the service, I felt a prompting from the Lord, a clear prompting that uh, I need to pray for people who are battling spiritual warfare in our congregation. So if you are here today and you feel like you're in the middle of a battle, maybe you're facing suicidal tendencies, deep discouragement, crushing anxiety and fear. Maybe there's warfare in your family life and relationships. Maybe it's a recurring addiction that refuses to go away. Maybe some of you here, you're involved in the occult and you're fearful of the consequences. Church, I want to pray for you. So I want every eye closed right now, just be in the presence of God. I want to ask you if you feel you are in the midst of a, a spiritual battle, just raise your hands high so I can pray for you. You know, this is your way of expressing your trust and dependence on the Lord. It's your way of calling for help. So just raise your hand out high. and Let's call on the name of the Lord to come and minister to us this morning. Father, we thank you for giving us a strong and mighty Savior. We thank you for the power that is in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the power to save, to set free, to deliver, and to bring transformation. I want to pray for every hand that is reached out right now. Lord, reach out to them and hold their hands. May they feel the presence of God coming right now. May they feel the shackles and the chains and the bondages being broken. By the power of your spirit, O oh God, we bind the power of Satan in their life and any of the demonic forces. We pray that, Lord, we will stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that bondages will be broken. And we will experience even right now, Lord God, freedom in the name of Jesus. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we proclaim that freedom right now, Jesus, all through this place, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to walk with you in victory. We declare as a congregation that the powers of darkness have been comprehensively defeated. They have absolutely no power over our lives today. We celebrate that victory, what you have accomplished for us on the cross and through your resurrection. Lord, I want to thank you for my brother Jonathan and for the story that he shared today. This is an evidence of the saving power of Jesus of what the Lord can do. No one is beyond your saving grace. I thank you for what you've done for Jonathan, for redeeming him, and now bringing him into your family. I pray that you will bless Jonathan. You will anoint him with the power of your spirit, that you will use him as a mighty witness, O God, that through his testimony and through his story, many will find the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. So I bless my brother today. Fill him with your joy, your peace, and your strength. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.